from the life of Moses. And y'all, this is a, a big night, a big, a big lesson, because this is actually the time we're going to look at the, the Passover, when this was the last plague that came upon Egypt. And the Lord saved, I guess, the most severe for the last. And, and again, remember seeing God's mercy throughout all the plagues that came upon Egypt. They're, they weren't just random acts of, you know, devastation. They were purposeful. They were purposeful to show God was God. And that Pharaoh was not God, and the gods of Egypt were not God, and that he ought to give heed when the Lord says, let my people go. And so this last plague is going to do it. He's not going to break Pharaoh in the sense of him humbling himself and calling out to Jehovah to be his God. It's going to humble him to the point, though, of, of being letting people go. And I wish it would have brought him to the place of, of repentance, but it did not bring him to a place of repentance. We know that later when he chased them in the wilderness and, and had to be killed in that way. But uh, I just want to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 9. We're going to read a few verses here from Exodus 9, 13 through 17. Exodus 9, 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. God wanted him to know that. Okay, This was the beginning before he sent all the plagues. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and all thy people with pestilence, and that thou shalt be, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, for, I, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. As yet exalt, exaltest thyself, thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. And so that was the... The, the challenge, that was the purpose of God. That was what was taking place, okay? And so, I'll just read this verse. This is, if you're taking notes, Exodus 12, 41. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And I just love it. I love the way the Bible just says it. Everything that came against them, everything that said this is impossible, everything that says it's not going to happen, and then you all, all that really matters is thus saith the Lord, and then it happened. All the stuff in between really is just the working of God to show His mercy to unbelievers, to strengthen the faith of believers, to show Himself strong through His people. But nothing is going to stop the will of God. Nothing. I've said it before, if all the planet suddenly became Christians, everybody, all the atheists, all the skeptics, everybody confessed and really repented and gave their life to the Lord, or if everybody that's now a Christian stopped believing God and nobody believed in the Lord, it's still not going to affect God's will and His plans for being fulfilled. Exactly like He wants it to be. It is not a popularity contest. We need to remember that. Christianity, true Christianity, truly serving God, is becoming less and less popular. I'm talking about true Christianity, all right? Not in name only or Christian music circles or whatever, or authors of books that uh, kind of morph between 
you know, psychology and Christianity or something like this. I'm talking about true Christianity is not popular today. Ungodliness is popular. And everything goes and everything is acceptable but true Christianity. Uh, even Muslim, you know, is more acceptable than true Christianity. But that doesn't bother God in the sense His heart is for men to be saved. So don't get me wrong. It doesn't hinder the Lord and make Him any less God. It doesn't make Him any less powerful. It doesn't make, thus saith the Lord, what has gone forth out of His mouth any less likely or able to happen. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen like God said. It's going to happen exactly when He said. Remember the, the state of Israel when Jesus came the first time. They were given over to Rome and just playing politics. And the people were just... Uh, dead spiritually in their hearts and cold. And it looked totally unfit for the Savior to come back. And yet Jesus came then, right? Born of a virgin and, and did everything He said He was going to do at His first coming. And nothing, not Satan or not Rome or not backslidden Israel, nothing stopped Him from doing that. Not a band of soldiers, not anybody, not popularity, Nothing, not fame, not lack of popularity, nothing. And so, again, it's just exciting to know that. But what we do see through, and this is what we talked about last week, we do see through the plagues and through the different, uh, the plagues, and I guess you would say the, the rebuffs where, where Moses was gone and mocked by Pharaoh, right? Scorned by Pharaoh, ridiculed by Pharaoh, get out of my sight. Not letting your people go. Get back to work. Make your, we're going to make your burdens harder. Over and over and over again, that the Lord was not getting any weaker by this. What He was doing was strengthening His man by this. Moses' faith was growing. We said early on that on the first couple of plagues, at least the first three, when Moses was called to go to Pharaoh, he was saying, I don't speak well. He's not going to listen to me. You know, this kind of thing. And then by the by the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, uh, you know, he's just, yes, Lord, he's just doing it. There's no back and he's been rejected. Rejected, rejected, and he just he just goes and he does what God God's called him to do. Now there's a great lesson for for us to learn from the life of Moses. A lot of things we can learn, but that is definitely one of them. That simple childlike obedience. There's not a replacement for that. You say, well, I don't obey quite that way, but, but I sing a lot to you. You know what I mean? There's not a replacement for obedience to the Lord. Unquestioning obedience to the Lord. It's very, it's essential. It's essential to the work of God that He's wanting to do in and through us. It's essential to our, our character and our growth as a child of God. Okay, so let, let's go on. But remember that in the first, the first three plagues, it didn't say that God, He might have, but the Bible doesn't say that the Lord severed between His people and the Egyptians. Maybe they were spared from those plagues, okay? But we definitely know by the fourth plague, He said, I will sever in, in the, that day the land of Goshen in which My people dwell. And from that hour... God's people, at least from that hour, we know, were protected. When, when darkness fell on Egypt, remember that's one of the last plagues, and they didn't see each other for three days, and nobody got out of their bed or, or moved about at all? 
um, that there was light in Goshen. Goshen is where the, the children of Israel lived. Those plagues weren't coming upon him. He was showing a real clear difference between his people. And in this last plague, he was going to do the same. But there was something that he was requiring of them to do. So that would be new. And there was a different attitude. It's almost like while, while Egypt's getting wrecked, for, for lack of another term, you know, the, Egypt was getting devastated. Lice and flies and frogs and locusts that ate up everything green and fire and hail that smashed up everything that was left that was green and a pestilence that was on their cattle and they died. And, and just the whole land was being wrecked. Their riches and their wealth and even their, their uh, they all had these sacrificial oxen and cows that were for their temples. They were being killed. Everything was just being leveled. Okay, but in Israel, even though there's in, in Goshen, I'm sorry, where the Israelites lived, there was a different attitude. God was ever actually giving them uh, a little time to get ready to leave. You know what I mean? The, the, the Egyptians are so consumed with their suffering and they were suffering that they were almost too busy to to fool with the Israelites. They were having time, just a little bit of time, to get ready. And I want to read this scripture. If you're taking notes, it's Hebrews 11:28. But remember, we started our whole series on Moses. We started in Hebrews instead of Exodus. We refer to it a lot because it says in Hebrews 11:28, by faith Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. That's our theme for tonight, y'all. Hebrews 11.28 is our theme for tonight. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And so the, the Bible is accrediting to Moses and Moses' faith. We know God did it, but the, the Bible is accrediting it to Moses that it was by Moses' faith that he kept it. He kept the Passover. And we're going to look at it. What would it mean to keep the Passover? This was the first one, okay? This was a, the real one. The others are more like symbolic. Jesus is the real Passover, but, but this was a real uh, Passover that was kept. It's almost like the, the people were spared. The Passover was kept, which means the people of Israel were spared because of Moses' faith to obey God and do this. As much as the Lord favored the people, and He did, they had to obey Him in the Passover, in the applying the blood. They had to do that. Had they not, it says, lest He that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So by faith, Moses kept it. And it's almost like his faith was contagious. Faith can, can almost be contagious. When you see faith in another person, really walking it out. It can strengthen your faith. School kids, okay, college-age kids, high school-age kids, your faith in the Lord and you walking it out in school has, can have a profound effect on other kids that maybe even faculty and staff and teachers and coaches that are saved and are hesitant to live for God publicly and boldly. And they see you stepping out. Church members, when they see you stand up and you give a prophecy and you give a word of tongues and an interpretation of tongues, or you step out and God called you to some ministry and you begin handing out tracts 
or you begin to step up to this microphone boldly and and say, God gave me a scripture for our church. God gave me a word for our church. There are a lot of people sitting there that are saved and love Jesus too that are emboldened by that. And so don't forget that. We're always waiting on somebody else to do it to maybe encourage us. When God says, I'm waiting on you to do it, and I'll use you and you'll be an encouragement to others. All right? And so Moses was the man that God chose and that faith, uh, his faith trickled down to others. Now I'll say this, and we talk about it all the time. This is very important. We talk about faith. Faith has to rest upon something. In other words, faith has to stand upon something. This, this altar rests on the floor. It's not floating, floating in thin air. Okay, Your chair is fixed on the ground and you're seated on the chair. It's, it's fastened upon something. It's based upon something. It's, you're not floating in the air. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't sit on nothing and fall and hurt your tailbone. Uh, not on purpose anyway. And so faith has to rest upon something. And it rests on what? It rests on the promise of God. Faith rests upon the promise of God. And it always, all faith, not just for the Passover, not just for, not just for the exodus of a people after 430 years, every faith to get up and, and to, to live today for God. Everything. To get up and come to church and say, I'm going to raise my hands when I'm really, really tired. And I'm going to open my voice and sing when I feel like just sitting there and, and chilling out and not doing anything. It's faith rests upon a promise. He, said he says He inhabits the praises of His people. He says, I'll meet you there at the altar. You see, the faith rests upon the promises of God. And so, as weak as we might be physically and in different ways, faith is going to lay hold on the promise of God and not let go. Every circumstance is contrary. I pray for my children to, uh, to come to know the Lord. I pray for my children to come be in this church with us. I pray whatever it may be. And there's nothing in the natural that we look at that would back that up. But faith is going to lay hold on the promise of God. But He's spoken to your heart, either from the Bible or spoken to your heart that you know God has spoken to your heart. You and I need to stay right there. Let the storms rage. Let days pass. Let years pass. Let the night fall. God is still, if He's spoken it, it's going to happen. He said they're going to come out. They came out. Okay? And faith always rests on promise. The promise of God. And this is what differentiates real faith. Remember we did a whole series on faith a while back. This, this is what differentiates faith, true biblical faith in Almighty God, than it sets it apart from positive thinking, from a great positive attitude. My glass is half full instead of half empty. True faith in God and the promise of God is light years apart from all this other positive outlook that's not based on anything. God's promises, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and in Him, Amen. And to the glory of God. You see what I'm saying? All the promises, every word of that is important. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. They're not no's. Unless he says this is absolutely not going to happen. That's a promise as well. 
but they're yea and amen. And there's no maybes. And there's, he's going to try hard enough and see if he can pull this one out. And some are harder for God and some are easier for God. They're all the promises of God. Amen. Or yea and amen. And faith is not positive thinking. Faith is God thinking. Faith is he said it. He says he's not a liar. In fact, the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. In fact, he's given prophecy after prophecy that he said it and it's fulfilled. And he says, I'm giving this prophecy to prove to you that I am God and I'm not a dumb idol like you're worshiping. You know, I'm God. And besides me, there's no other calling the end from the beginning. He calls the end from the beginning what's going to happen. And he watches over his word, word to perform it. And it comes to pass, like God says, he hastens his word to perform it. it may not be in our time. It'll absolutely be in his time. And we rest upon that. You might not have ever really stepped out on a big promise of God. He wants us to. He wants us to step out on the promises of God as though it was really uh, concrete, a rock for our feet, to literally step out on the promises of God like Peter walked on the water. Look at this with me. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Now this is talking about Abraham, the father of us all, the sense, sense of faith. But let's look at this, and he's a wonderful example of what we're talking about. The promise was to him. The promise was to Sarah that they would have a son, not just a son, but um, multitudes of descendants from their own bodies in their old age. And it was 25 years from the time of the promise to the first little glimpse of that actually happening. And Isaac was born. Nations did come from Isaac. The Savior did come. Through His seed were all, all nations of the earth blessed. It did happen like God said. didn't happen when Abraham thought it would. didn't happen as quickly as he wanted it to, it to. And yet, it did happen like God said it would happen. Let's read this in, in Romans 4. We're talking about faith resting on the promise of God. Verse 16. We could read this whole chapter, but I just want to pick up a couple of verses. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. I preached on that many, many years ago. Uh, to the end, the promise. See the word promise there. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. For him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. At least two or three times in those three scriptures we saw according to the promise, according to God's word, according as it was spoken, so shall thy seed be. That's what Abraham rested upon. You could say, oh, he sure looked weak when you know, he took Hagar uh, and had a child th through him, Ishmael. He sure looked weak, uh, you know, maybe other times. And Sarah looked weak when she laughed when God had spoken the promise. Um, she was in the tent and she listened. They were weak, but they still, even in their weakness, they still had faith. 
We know it because they had the promised child. The promise was fulfilled. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive in her old age because she judged him faithful who what? Had promised. All faith rests upon the promise. The promise was Israel's coming out of Egypt. They're going in, and after 400 years, that's a roughly a time period, I will bring them out. I will judge the nation to which they were in bondage. All of that happened. We're reading about it. But faith rests upon promise. We need to study the promises of God. We need to rightly appropriate them. In other words, don't, don't take something that's for Israel and call it your own or something like that. Take what's for the believers in the church age for us now and stand upon it and live there. Okay? Take what God has spoken to your heart that's not contrary to the Word of God because if it's contrary to the Word of God, God did not speak it to your heart. You thought He did. Or I thought He did. Take what's spoken to your heart that may not be uh, a specific verse in the Bible, but it lines up with the Bible, and stand there and stand upon it, whatever it may be. Amen? That's where we stand. I want to look at the directions for the Passover. We're going to, we're going to get to this. We're not going to be real, real long tonight, but I want us to look at it. The directions were basically these, just for time's sake. On the 10th of the following month, the head of each family, whoever they were, if they were Israelites, the head of each family was instructed to select a, a lamb free of defect or disease or anything like that. Okay, a healthy, blemish-free lamb. And if a family was too small and didn't have a lamb or couldn't afford a lamb, they could join with another family. Okay, God was gracious. He's making sure everybody could be taken care of. Um, the lamb was to be kept from the 10th of the month to the 14th of the month and killed later on the day of the 14th day of the month. They were to take the blood and catch it carefully in a basin. And they were to take the blood that came from the lamb and they were to put it on the two side posts of their door of their houses and over the lintel, which would have been over the top of the doorpost. They were to go inside the house. They were to roast the lamb that had been killed whole, and they were to eat it with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. All in the same night. That evening they were to kill it, put the blood, go inside, stay inside with their whole family, grandpa, grandma, little junior. Everybody was to be there. Okay, They were all to be there. And they were to roast the lamb whole and eat it with unleavened bread and herbs. Now, all of this, you have to see, see this is def, definitely different than the other plagues. They're going to be frogs. Okay, they're frogs. Okay, Moses prayed that, get the frogs out of here, Pharaoh would say. The plagues came and went. This, something was different about this. We have to note that. This is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Even Christ, our Passover. We're going to look at that verse at the end. But at the time that it was being given, this was all new, wasn't it? There was no real precedent for this. Um, and y'all, and things could, it could be like that in our lives where God is speaking something to our lives or doing something in my heart or doing something in my family or doing something in our church. Again, it can't be unbiblical, but it might be something new for me. 
It might be something new for us. And it really doesn't matter if we have, if we like it. It really doesn't matter if we get it completely. It, it's important that we obey. This was all new. It was weird. Bitter herbs, unleavened bread. So why am I putting blood on my doorpost? Why am I getting inside the house? What's, what's this all about? Okay? The important thing, he's going to show them what it's all about. And we have it through the scriptures and through the life and death of Jesus. We have it. But, but it was important that they obeyed. That we just walk in that amount of light. We say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we walk in what he's given us. So the whole family comes together. And the men were to have their loins girt about because they were getting ready to go on a long journey. It's amazing that after 430 years and then bam, right? 430 years and then toiling in slavery these last years especially and the last weeks and months leading up to the Exodus were the worst of all. And that, that very night when they're killing the lamb and putting the blood and getting their bitter herbs and their unleavened bread, that means they didn't have yeast to make it rise. Yeast can be representative of sin and things like this. Unleavened bread. And so that very night, they're coming out. I mean, they're coming clean out. Not only leaving their homes or walking on a vacation, they're coming out of slavery. They're coming out of bondage, cruel bondage, a lifetime of bondage. It's going to happen. And they're trusting God. And the Israelites are obeying. Praise God. They were obeying the Lord. As I said, they're probably riding to some extent on Moses' faith. They saw Moses and, and the things happened like Moses said in the plagues. And here they're, they're doing what God said. But they would have their loins gird because they're going on a journey. They would have their staves or their walking sticks with them. The women were to have their dough, like a little traveling suitcase of food. Their dough together and their kneading troughs together, bound up in a little bundle with their clothes. See these little hobos, you know, in the cartoons? They got a stick and a little pack of clothes on the back. You know, they were, just, they were just to be ready to go. You know, we're traveling. We're moving. We're coming out of this place. All the people were to be, have their, uh, their sandals on their feet. Well, usually at night, when you're going inside for the night and getting ready to eat supper, you might be running around barefoot, you know, or flip-flops on or, or whatever. And so, but they're told, something's happening this night. You get your clothes on, Okay. You get your loin skirt about, you put your sandals on your feet, and you get ready to travel. All right? You get ready to travel. And they were to be eating that meal together, the whole family, and their ears, they were to be intent listening. There's going to be some signal that God gives us. Now's the time. Now's the time to go. And the whole nation is getting ready to come out. Amen? And they're going to be sheltered by what? The blood. Appreciate the songs that, that the Lord gave Dee to sing tonight about the blood of Jesus. The land of, the bond, of their bondage was going to be left behind and it was going to be left behind forever. Now they had other bondages of sin. It's evident in the wilderness. Their unbelieving hearts and so forth. But they were coming out of this bondage that God said He was going to bring them out of forever. Alright? It's very exciting. And so again, there's quite a different attitude in the this night with the Israelites and the Egyptians. Same night, right? 
the Egyptians are scared. The Egyptians are going to be losing the firstborn in every household from, a, from the firstborn of a servant or a slave to the firstborn of Pharaoh. All the way up the ladder. Oldest and the firstborn in every house. But the Israelites are coming out this night. They're going to be spared that. And not only are they going to be spared that and then wake up as slaves the next day, they're going to be spared that and they're going to come out. They're coming out. And so there was quite a difference in, in the attitudes. Again, their, their obedience was paramount. Their obedience was everything. Even for the Israelites. This was different, like I said, than the other plagues. They didn't really have any part in it. They just watched. They saw the power of God. And they saw that they were spared. And the Egyptians weren't spared. And they're thinking, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But there was something different here. And it's almost like, I love the way the author puts it, it's almost like the Lord was showing the Israelites, you know, y'all aren't guiltless in all this either. There's got to be bloodshed for you or that death angel's coming to your house. They weren't guiltless. Israelite was not this just wonderful little perfect child. Far from it. They had probably intermingled with the idolatry and everything that was going on in, in Egypt. Uh, they didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They, they had their own share of sin. Now, they weren't guilty of the same things that Egyptians were. You know, the Egyptians had even a greater guilt for oppressing the people of God so cruelly and so forth. But the Lord is basically saying, you're not innocent from this either. You're not guiltless before me. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, this is Old Testament. I think the first read it in Leviticus, you first see it with Abel's offering. Okay, way back when man first sinned. And we see it all through the Bible and all restated in Hebrews. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, which means forgiveness of sin doesn't matter if we get it we understand it i pray we do i pray the holy ghost gives us a, a understanding of it see that's weird why does blood have to be shed for sin to be forgiven because god said so because the wages of sin is death because sin entered in through one man and and by sin death passed upon all men and that all have sinned and by the faithfulness of one man jesus christ shall this life that all believe in Him, grace and then life and forgiveness of sins is passed on to all men. Because that's God. Because His ways are not our ways. Because we don't really understand how bad our sin is. That it wages up sin is death. Because we think it's just a little white lie. And we think it's just a little lust. And we think it's just a little this. And it's not just that. It's, it's offense against the Holy God. And we need to see it like God sees it. And it's a lot worse than we see it. Our little sins. And he's saying to the, the Israelites, you're not guiltless in this. Okay? So in order for them to benefit on this Passover night, they needed to benefit from the mercy of God. They needed to benefit from the grace of God. And the plague that would come on others that would not touch them. And they needed to come out with the high hand of God and the strong hand of God. If they were going to benefit from any of that and the awesome power and mercy of God, they had to obey the Lord. And they had to obey the Lord in the blood shed. This was symbolic of Jesus Christ's blood that was going to be shed, but blood was shed for their sin. And it's only because of the blood that the angel passed over them and they were not affected by death in their households. 
They were guilty. And they were still guilty when they were singing the song of Moses after the Red Sea parted. And a few days later, they're worshiping golden calves. Okay? They're still guilty. And yet, God spared them because of the blood that was applied. That blood is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. Okay? The blood of Jesus. And I want to just read this verse. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. We say that's just old dead Jewish religion that has nothing to do with me. Israel has nothing to do with me. It's all just dead religious Jewish stuff. It has everything to do with us. It's all speaking about Christ. Our Savior came as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He came from the Jewish people. And it says even Christ, Jesus Christ, the one born of a virgin 2,000 years ago, ago, that died on the cross. Even Christ, our Passover Lamb. We don't sit there and eat the unleavened bread and keep the ceremonial Passover. It's not our heritage. We're not called to do that. That's not part of our life in Christ. And yet, Christ is our Passover Lamb. He is our Passover Lamb. His blood has been applied to my heart. His blood has been applied to my children's hearts. His blood has been applied to my wife's heart. And your hearts. And where it's applied. And He, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has done that for us. And I thank God for it. I will pass through the land of Egypt and will smite the firstborn in all the land, both man and beast. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. I mean, this, this is our faith. This is our religion. This is our belief that Christ died for us. The just for the unjust. Amen? And, and, and the power of the blood of Jesus. It's not a magical power. It's the power of Christ. It's the power of His life's blood that was shed to cleanse sin. And to break the power of sin from off of our lives. And it says the Israelites bowed their heads. And this is a wonderful because so many times they did not obey the Lord. Praise God they did on this night. Amen? It says when they heard those instructions from God, from Moses to them, they bowed their heads and worshipped and went their way to do as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. That's what the Bible says. And so, again, I'll state this one more time just real quickly. It's exciting to see literal obedience on something that's a spoken word. In other words, God speaks a word. How can you step out on that? I need to see something. I need to see something tangible. And yet, there was nothing tangible other than God said, this night I'm going to pass through the land and smite the firstborn in Egypt. When I see the blood, I will pass over. Do what I've told you to do to the T. Do it specifically. And the people bow their heads and worship and they all set off to do as they were commanded to do. To the man, they obeyed the Lord. To the man, they were spared. To the man, the death angel spared them. To the man and woman and child, God brought them out. It's just very exciting. As I said, there's no, there's no substitute for obedience. There's just not. Praise and worship doesn't make up for obedience. Okay? Warm, fuzzy feelings and giving money to the poor doesn't make up for obedience. Obedience in every day, every day, everyday acts of life, the small things, the medium-sized things, 
never done this before, huge things, obedience to the Lord. There's not a substitute for it. It was conditional. You understand that it was conditional upon their obedience. That this, this mercy of God and being spared and being brought out was conditional upon their, uh, their obedience. And so we are to, to live that way. And again, that faith can become contagious. And it was on the tenth night of the month, Abib, when the Lord said it would happen, that they came out. Now, there must have been, according to the Scriptures, there must have been a knowing among the Egyptians as well by this time. Something profound was happening this night. Because the Bible says that, that the Egyptian people on this night laid gifts upon, like overlaid them, laid them, the Israelite slaves down with gifts. You know, one, man, one pointed out maybe that was God's way of paying them back for all their slave service for all those years. But they were laden down with gold and jewels and jewelry. And so the Egyptians had to have known through Moses, you know, and through whatever God showed them, what was going on as well. And so that was the night that three million people, it's believed, came out. From 1.5 million to 3 million, counting women and children. Most Bible scholars say that was the population of the Israelites in, in Goshen. And so it was just enough for them that he said, when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over. And they believed that. The Bible says, what saith the Scriptures? I know it's speaking of Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. There's no different with this first Passover. The people believed and they were spared. And they knew that the blood would speak for them. In other words, the blood would speak on their behalf. He wasn't looking for uh, perfectly moral people. He already knew their sin. He wasn't looking for you know, the most godly people in the land. All he was looking for was the blood. The blood the way he said it should be. Over the doorpost, from the lamp, from a spotless lamp. He was looking for his son, in a sense. And that's all he's looking for now. In our church, it's all he's really interested in. Is my son honored there? Is my son manifest there? Is Christ the head of that church? Is Jesus glorified in the songs and in that music? Is Christ the focal point of this preaching? Is it drawing men to the Lord? Is your Christianity out daily? All he's looking for is Jesus. Okay? For our salvation, it's the blood of Jesus. It's not our goodness, it's his goodness. And I put my trust in him, and he is able, after I put my faith in him, and he has saved me, and I'm born again, to begin to make me good. He calls me as being good and righteous and just simply by faith in Jesus. True faith. Okay? And then he sets at work to conform me to the image of His Son by the sanctifying of the Holy Ghost and the washing of the water of the Word. That's ongoing. Amen? He's absolutely doing it. And so, basically you could say the faith of Moses, did it fall flat or was he vindicated? He was vindicated. His faith was vindicated. Way back a month or so ago, we talked about the choice he made to step down. Remember? Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
Choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God. He had respect unto the recompense of reward. He knew God's reward was coming. So in all this time passed, at least 40 years, okay, from stepping down from the throne, basically, or what would have been the throne for him, to seeing God fulfill the promise. Amen? It's exciting. God's going to always, faith maketh not ashamed. Isn't that what the Bible says? That really means, it kind of sounds funny in the English, but it, it means it, it, it doesn't disappoint. Faith, doesn't, faith in God doesn't let you down. Because God's not, not going to let you down. Because the promises of God are true. He doesn't let you say, okay, well, Dee's trusting totally in me, and I'm going to let her go on and suffer, and then I'm going to let her fall flat on her face, and I'm not going to do what I promised her. Faith maketh not ashamed. Hope maketh not ashamed, is what it says in Romans. And so, uh, here, here's what happens. There's this stillness in the night. The Israelites are doing what they're supposed to do. The Egyptians are over here, and at some point in that night, and it had to be scary, people begin to scream and shrieks going out when they check on their little baby or they check on their teenage son or their 20-year-old son or their 30-year-old son and the firstborn in each household was dead. It had to be horrifying. And God was bringing this to pass and in Pharaoh's house, the firstborn was dead. The heir to the throne of Egypt was now dead. And this, this cries going out and he shrieks. And so he sends, Pharaoh sends for Moses and Aaron. And I love this, y'all. There's no deals. There's no begging for deals or anything. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and he called for Moses and Aaron by night. And he said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people. Period. Get out. Okay? Get out from among my land and from among my people. They, their children, their property, their cattle, everything was to be gone. Moses said, no, Pharaoh, I'm not taking any of your deals. God does something and delivers. He delivers all the way. There's not going to be a hoof of one of our cattle left behind. We're going. Everything that's ours and that pertains to us is what God has told us to bring out. And so the only, only one desire of the Egyptians, and we're closing with this, was to get the people out at all costs as quickly as they could. And they did. They laden them down with gifts. And I just want us to, to see this. It was, it was almost like for the first time Israel, probably on that night, the Bible doesn't say that, but they probably for the first time really realized they were a nation rather than like a horde of slaves. They came in as a family. Jacob's family in the 70, 70 souls and all, they came in. 430 years later, they're a nation. One goal, one purpose, one blood put over, over the door. One God, Jehovah. Okay, at least in that night and coming out. And the Bible says of us, for you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's believers. Peculiar people. That we show, show forth God's praises. And uh, I just want to close with this verse. You know, let's just turn and read this in Luke chapter 1. This is speaking about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Luke is, uh, gives an account of his birth and
even before his birth with John the Baptist. Let, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 74 and 75. And this is the prop, prophecy of Zacharias. Okay? Zacharias was John the Baptist's father. Six months older than Jesus and Jesus' cousin. But he was of God. And, and let's read this in verse 74. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. That's speaking about Christ. That is John the Baptist's father speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, a prophecy about Jesus who was literally on the doorstep, okay, was getting ready to be born, and 33 and a half years later, go to the cross to die. And he says, I'm going to read again, that he would grant, Jesus would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. See the similarity? Christ, our Passover, they came, the Israelites came out of the hand of their enemies. They've been in bondage for all those years. That we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And so even Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Amen. And it's, it's just exciting to see. There's no difference in their faith and our faith. They live before the cross. We live on the backside of the cross. Okay. And yet we're trusting in the blood. We're trusting not in our own righteousness or goodness. We're all in cruel bondage. We're all in. And there are people who may be in this room that are in worse bondage than slavery, than a physical slavery. You might be in a, in a bondage in your mind. You might not know Jesus and you're lost and you're in a bondage of, of sin. You think you're so free and you can't get out of it. And, and yet you're not free. The Lord can set us free, amen? By His blood, by faith in Him. Y'all stand with me tonight. And Father, we come before You in Jesus' name. We thank You, Lord God, that at least to the extent that You've revealed to us, God, we understand the Passover. I know that there's much more and a greater depth still that we can have. But Lord, we understand that the blood of Jesus speaks for us on our behalf, for us, on our side, before a holy God. And the way that the blood of the Lamb spoke for the sinful Hebrews when they placed it over the door and they were inside that house. We are to be in Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I thank You that You have delivered us from a cruel bondage worse than a physical slavery, the slavery of sin and the oppression of our enemy, the devil. And God, we want to serve You like we just read in Luke without fear and holiness all the days of our lives. Help us to walk in that liberty, God. Help us to have the simple childlike faith of Moses to stand upon the promises of God. Even if we don't see any precedent, even if we haven't seen that happen before, but we know You've promised and spoken to our hearts. Would You give us faith, God? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Help us to walk in childlike obedience and in faith. True faith in the living God. We love You tonight. We praise You and we thank You, Lord God. In Jesus' name.